Peter Lawson has been a prominent figure in the Finnish startup scene for over 20 years. Whilst best known as the co-founder of Holby, he also founded the Alternative Party and went to over 30 cities in search of startups as part of the Travelling Salesman project. In addition, he has been a volunteer coach on numerous accelerators, including Startup Sauna, Wise Guys, Built It, and more recently, Sampo and Keywells. As well as the ups, like any seasoned entrepreneur, he's also survived some downs. So it's with great delight that we welcome Christopher, or Chris, as many people know him, to share his startup community stories and those hard-won insights. Welcome, Christopher. Thank you. Now, you've, as I said in the intro, you've been in the startup scene for over 20 years, and you, very early on, you did the alternative party. So I just wondered if you could tell us a bit about that and what in, happened there. Yeah, there's definitely connections, and I think a lot of people don't even know that Holvi actually kind of started from the alternative party and, and running those events. Um, so. The beginnings were very, very uh, humble. I mean, we had like a hundred people sitting around with um, all manner of computing devices. Uh, but the the overall vision behind that was to have an event where you could bring in uh, different artists in kind of the digital sphere together. Um, it really started from like the demo scene, which is one of the kind of important subcultures here in the, in the Nordic region and somewhere in uh, Northern Europe as well. It's where a lot of the gaming companies have started, where a lot of actually startups have, have formed as well. And we wanted to do something a bit different. We wanted to really focus on the artistic side of the technology uh, with many different types of devices. And um, it, we, we grew that slowly uh, but surely over the year, years and started to bring in international artists. and. And then it really finally kicked off, I think, 2007, 2008. We started to have a much big, uh, bigger team. Um, it got more organized. Uh, we had like 1,500 people, I think, um, at some point. And um, yeah, international artists, international bands as well we brought in. And as this was happening, as it was sort of growing, um, the managing the financial part of that was becoming more and more tricky. and. Uh, Thomas, who was, you know, the 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 other co-founder in in Holvi, um, was the unfortunate treasurer for 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 those events, and um, so at some point we kind of got together and 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 we were doing something related to money uh, online anyway. We we're doing like Scred, and uh, we we're like, okay, the fact that we have to do all this manual work to understand the finances of a, of an event or a project like this just doesn't make sense. I mean, computers should be great at doing that kind of stuff. And um, so we thought that the best way to solve that would be to come up with a bank. But that's kind of where the whole we started. Uh, but I mean, the alternative party is something that, even though we haven't been doing any new ones for, for a couple of years now, it's, it's probably one of the things I'm still most proud of uh, in my life. I mean, we, we managed to bring in people like um, one of the early uh, is the, the developers behind uh, ARM, so the ARM processor. Um, we uh, had this mathematician in with an, uh, an actual Enigma device from you know the Second World War, telling about how the encryption on that worked. Um, we had bands like Front 242, which is it's fair to say probably my favorite band of all time. So you're, you're basically sitting there with one of your kind of idols and, and a big pioneer of electronic music. 
Uh, so we brought all of these things together and sort of mixed and matched and it was just a hugely inspirational time for everybody involved. How, how, how would you feel the knock-on consequences? That are, like, are there other key people who are prominent today who are around at that? At the time, uh, oh, if, if you look at the demo scene in, in general, then oh yeah, absolutely, definitely. Like, uh, um, I would say that almost a hundred percent of all the gaming companies, certainly the successful ones, have people who were very much involved with the demo scene. I mean, you look at um, every play that was sold now to Unity. Um, the 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 guys behind that were uh, the founders of Assembly, which is another sort of demo scene uh, oriented event. Um, uh, people who were uh, building Rovio or Supercell, all of these folks are very, very much connected with with the demo scene. So I think that was one of the like it's one of the undertold um, and less known stories about the whole Finnish ecosystem is where that talent pool actually came from originally. Yeah, that was actually a surprise when I was writing the article that inspired this um, podcast series that people were very keen to point out the whole the impact of the demo scene. Yeah, and, yeah. And how it's you look at Vesterbaka as well. I mean, he, so he, the way I got to know him was he uh, was organizing these HB Bazaar events, which were very much uh, formulated on the, the structure of what a demo party was like. So mm -hmm. we were participating, and I think it was actually the first HB Bazaar. And um, that's how I got to know Vesterbaka as well. I think it's interesting. I think Billy Meaton pointed out because he was involved with the kind of graphics side. That at that time, they the kind of roots were there, but they were very kind of vertical. That mm. people were in their own spaces, and it, the main difference is later, the kind of it became kind of horizontal in terms of they realized actually we're startups, we share similar things, and then the sort of silos broke down and became more this kind of like we're doing this startup thing. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you say that I, I, I've been involved in building companies and startups for 20 years, but to be honest, if you look beyond sort of 2007, 2008, there was no startup scene. I mean, there was just maybe a couple of folks who would do like sort of mobile Mondays um, and some other meetups, but there wasn't the scene that you would recognize today. It was just people building the, the, their companies. We wouldn't even really use the startup world uh, word that much. So what, how did it go from alternative party to the traveling salesman? Yeah, that, that's actually very directly connected as well. Um, so we were, we were doing the alternative party um, and we, we started to already kind of pivot with Scred a little bit. So Scred was basically a service for managing shared expenses among, amongst uh, friends. And uh, we started to look at what else people do with money uh, and especially running sort of crazy projects like like the alternative party. And, uh, and a lot of people, when they're doing these things, they're really focused on the creative side of things. Uh, they want to create a great project or an event. And the, the money is just some is like a necessary evil that you have to kind of deal with. And, and we really wanted something to make that as easy as possible. And uh, so the first kind of prototype versions of Holvi were actually built under the Scred brand and uh, we used PayPal as a connect, kind of connecting back end. And um, then I'd had this dream for quite some time that I, I uh, at some point would want to go and uh, visit every single um, university city in the Nordics and to kind of find out about startups and 
see how those communities work and learn from them and, and also maybe share some lessons as well. And um, uh, I, I mentioned, often these projects, they start from just talking to somebody, sort of mentioning the idea to, to somebody. Uh, so I, talk, I talked about this to, to one friend, uh, Kim, Kim Vigleren, and he said, well, why don't you do that right, in, right now? Because um, my idea was that, you know, at some point after an exit, that could be a nice thing to do. And I was like, well, you know, it costs quite a bit of money to do something like that. It's, it takes quite a bit of time. But he said, well, I mean, you could talk to some sponsors, see if you can get some companies to come on board. And I was like, yeah, yeah I mean, why not? I mean, they'll, they, will, they will say no, of course, but, but why not give it a go? So I approached Nokia and, and Microsoft and some other companies um, with the idea of, I mean, we're going to be doing this wild road trip um, in, uh, in a Land Rover Defender. And um, we, we really would want to talk about like what those companies are doing and showcase new interesting products. So in Microsoft's case, they just brought out Windows Phone. Um, the, I think the first physical devices were just coming out. So like, okay, this is something that we could actually show the community and see how, uh, see how that works. And then Nokia was still really focusing on the Qt um, library uh, set. And, uh, uh, and I remember the first meeting at Microsoft, I, I had this great presentation. I thought it was great anyway, mm -hmm. um, with the whole story and the maps and the vehicle and the branding and everything thought out. And uh, the guys there were like typical Finns. So there's just not an expre expression between them. So looking at me really seriously and uh, nodding their head and like, okay. And then they said like, thank you after the meeting. I was like, okay, well, I, sc I screwed that up. They, 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 they weren't excited at all. Then the next day I get an email saying that, okay, we really like, like this project. We'd like to get involved and we'd like to be one of the main sponsors. So then I was like, oh crap, we actually have to do this now. <laughs> um, so then, uh, what year was that again? This was uh, so the trip actually happened in 2010. Uh, yeah. yeah. So still, when the whole concept was started, still pretty new. It uh, was. It was. Well. Yeah, it was very, very early. Um, and I, th I mean, so things like Alto Yes were there, and some of the entrepreneurship societies were starting to to form around around Finland. Uh, but actually, the rest of the Nordics was even more uh, rudimentary. The setups. I mean, they didn't really have a startup scene as such. Even places like Stockholm, uh, you'd get the odd maybe co-working space type of thing, but not really much beyond that. So for many companies, this was their first chance to actually pitch and get some feedback and talk about how to build startups. And, and a few of them um, actually became really big successes. Uh, I, certainly I remember uh, from Iceland, one uh, called Meniga, which is now like, a, it's, a, it's a big company now. Um, and uh, so uh, I had the fortune of kind of recording probably one of their very first international pitches. Uh, so that's really, really, that, that, I mean, that was an amazing trip. It was incredibly tiresome. And, and Vili is connected to that as well, because it was actually his Land Rover that okay. we were doing that oh, trip in. I didn't know that. Um, did Mike Bradshaw go? Yeah, he was there for a while. So he was coordinating here in Finland. And then he joined for some bits of it. Mm -hmm. um, and Vili joined for a little bit, and yeah. so and Thomas joined. So we had like different people joining at different parts in the in the trip. And Vili um, Vili actually came on board at probably the worst day of the whole trip, um, because um, we were at this small local local meetup, and uh, I'd parked the Land Rover in a like a should have been a secure parking place, and Vili checked with me to say, like, did you park it? like safely. I was like, yeah, yeah, it should be, should be good. 
and the next morning we get we get up and go to the, uh, the Land Rover and, and the windows had been smashed in and the stereo had been taken and stuff had been stolen. So I was like, I was just <laughs> so embarrassed. Uh, I hope he's forgiven me. Um, I think that's part of the reality when you commit yourself to these things, you have to be ready to take some pain along the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, it's a good point to open the beer because I was just thinking, so, so you were doing... Um, one of the reasons why we do this podcast at the end of the day is to ease our guilt of not doing some okay. kind of startup work. So that's the, why we have a beer at the end of the uh, day. Okay. <laughs> and also it's a big tradition of doing you know, startups in general. Peter was telling in the other podcast that in having a beer in Silicon Valley has been forever. Yeah. yeah. But how, how did you f feel like that? Because even for me doing these, taking a bit of time out to these podcasts, I still feel a little bit guilty that people might be thinking I'm not concentrating on my startup. But you were doing traveling salesman, also running a startup at the same time. How yeah, I mean, it, um, and obviously we we we, I, we sort of used that opportunity to promote. At, at the time, it was still Scred, mm. um, so it was kind of talking a little bit about that and talking about Seed Camp as well, uh, what our, our experience had been there as as finalists. Um, but it, it also gave me a lot of time f to think uh, about things uh, about our direction about what we we're doing with the company and after the whole trip I um, got back and I uh, remember having this conversation with Thomas saying that that you know what I, I think we should th this new thing that we're now looking at doing um, this new aspect of Scred that I think it's different enough that we should think about kind of having a new brand so rebranding mm -hmm. it to something different and that um, one of the biggest weaknesses for Scred was that the user experience was nowhere near what we wanted. Uh, and, and so that I felt that it would be really key to bring on board a, a designer uh, to help us build this sort of Holvey thing and to really focus on that. And uh, Thomas had been looking at some of the regulations related to running payment services and, and the banking uh, things. And, and it was just, like that little break uh, was actually, in a way, quite crucial because it, it allowed us to come come back and rethink everything. Um, I remember Sompi, who you know uh, mm. as well, he, he, he jokingly said that we had done a 360 degree pivot, which is sort of true. true yeah. uh, um, so we, we went like full circle, but came with a new brand, with a new, with new energy. Uh, and that was absolutely key. I don't think Colby would be anywhere close to where it is today if it if it hadn't been for that. Just something I was reading a, an article. And I think it relates to this about. He was saying that kind of doing a startup thing is a bit like a guy at a basketball court practicing the same shot like a thousand times. So he can throw it here, it hits here, and goes into a hoop, and then some stranger comes along or aka investor and he says mm. hey look what I can do and he goes wow that's amazing mm. so the reason why I tell that story is I was kind of thinking because you you worked on Scred like a really long time and as you say the essence was mm. so similar in many ways to Holby mm. so you mm. understood that space so well so when you finally kind of did the Holby it was a bit like throwing that ball and just plunk straight in because you mm. had that huge time to develop that so that's why I, w I was thinking when a little bit when, when you were doing the solo project that you hadn't had that kind of mm. practice of throwing the ball a thousand times prior to that. Was that something that you thought had 
crossed your mind when you started solo? Um, it did. Uh, I mean, solo was uh, a ridiculously am ambitious project, but something that had been on my mind for a very long time, uh, from from the very first internet company that we we created. Mm -hmm. um, it just felt ridiculous that we were in a world where there's the huge resources of the internet, and this was like the late 90s at the time, or early 2000s. Uh, we had huge resources of the internet, but we were still kind of manually installing applications and trying to figure out how much hard drive space you have left. And, mm -hmm. um, uh, and you would get these great resources on the internet, but then they weren't available for you locally whenever you were disconnected from that internet and so that was kind of the first sort of early uh, in like inklings of, of what then ended up being solo and and certainly I, I did did think about that, that I mean everybody was assuming that my next thing would be something related to fintech because now fintech mm -hmm. was a term it wasn't even a term when we mm -hmm. started Holby but I, I never really worked like that I mean for me it's all about like what is the space, the area where uh, I can have bring an impact, like impact the world? Mm -hmm. um, so do something that is radically challenging or challenging the status quo, uh, and that's what we did with Holvi. Uh, I mean, my dream was never to be a banker, far from it. Um, but we did Holvi because it was a chance to question the status quo in the banking world and to do something that would actually be useful for ourselves and for many in our network. Same thing with Solo, it was just like this is something that I'd been into computers since I was a little kid. I always knew I wanted to do computers. Um, uh, I'd been following all the early sort of computer founders and it's just like that's something I, I really wanted to do and, it, and there was a chance, albeit very difficult and, and, and like some would say even slim chance, but a chance to actually make a radical impact on, on the computer world. And at, at some point it was just like, either we're going to do this and maybe we will fail, mm. or somebody else does it, and then we'll never forgive ourselves for not giving it a go. Yeah, I think, I think it's really important if you think when, like, if you're thinking about doing a new startup, everyone talks about like the market potential and market size and then and then, and then do you have the skills and the team to kind of do it? But I think the other sort of part of that is the passion and the sweet spot is in the middle. You've got yeah. to have all those things. And you can't just ignore the passion and yeah. say, okay. So I think, I think you're right, you can't, you've got to go with what, what's passionate because I remember when I used to be in filmmaking, they used to say when you start making a film, you have to absolutely love the script. Mm. Because whatever happens, by the time you've made the film, you're going to hate it. <laughs> yeah. But if you start off thinking it's kind of okay, then you're never going to finish because... Yeah. So I, I think that, that passion is critical. That, that's absolutely true. I mean, that passion is what keeps you going mm. uh, at, at points where, it, in many cases, it doesn't make sense to even continue, but it's the thing that kind of makes you go, I'm just going to give this one more shot. Mm. Uh, and in the case of Solo, I mean, that that hasn't vanished, and, and to some degree even Holvi. I mean, I think Holvi could have been even bigger. Mm. Um, and, uh, and certainly that's, that's the case with Seoul, that it's, it's something that I think uh, is still possible to do um, with a few refinements. Uh, I, I think actually even more than it was a few years ago, I think the, 
the computing world is very stable and static at the moment. There's no new directions, new approaches to, to uh, thinking about how we interact with our computers. So that opportunity is, is, is definitely still there. And, and I, would, I wouldn't mind giving it another go at some point. The timing is, a lot of people realize it's very critical if you're too early or too late. It's, yeah. I think it's so, there's so much luck involved in startup uh, world about the, and the, the interesting thing is with the timing is that it's 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 not actually necessarily the market timing always because actually I think in in terms of timing we were pretty good with Holvig the people were kind of fed up with banks and they were sort of collapsing and there was all of this stuff going on um, and but still I mean we struggle to get financing for the company we struggled so much it's just unbelievable. We would have discussions where we would approach the VC and they would be like, oh, okay, you're doing, you're doing something related to finance. And no, we only invest into social media and, and video games. So you would have these types of discussions, which now looking back, I mean, you look at how big the fin fintech industry is now and all the unicorns, it's like, okay, that, that, that's an utterly ridiculous statement. Um, but that's just the nature of the time. So I think actually the, the funding part is the, the, the bit where the timing is actually trickier to manage than the market. Mm -hmm. the part of this, uh, these podcasts is, is we want the personal stories. And always the, the main thing is the community building and the mm -hmm. focus thing. So somewhere amongst all of that, you're also quite heavily involved in startup sound trips and things. Yeah, like that. yeah. For quite some time I've been... Uh, I, I guess it goes back to traveling salesman. I mean, I really liked helping startups and sort of sharing their stories and giving feedback and sometimes even harsh feedback. Um, so I think it was just a natural progression for, from there to get involved with Startup Salon as well. And, and was that quite close, I guess, as well? Because the timing, it wasn't that long after. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty early on. And, and then, of course, the other accelerators as well. Um, and for me, I mean, I, I don't get any, there's no financial reward in that, but um, I, I just, there's two sides of it. Like, on the one hand, you've crammed all of this experience in your head from doing these things for several years. And it's just nice to be able to give it to somebody else so that they can, it's nice to be able to see them learn and, 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 and do something interesting with that knowledge that you've collected. Uh, the other way of looking at it also is that you're, when you're building a startup, you're constantly facing all these struggles of your own. And it actually helps to be able to go and look at somebody else's startup. So sometimes it gives you new ideas for your own company, but it's also, it helps to deal with the stress when you see that, oh, it's, it's, it's not only us that are facing problems, all of these guys have problems as well, and we can help each other. That's and really nice. During that process, you also kind of refresh some fundamental thinking around startups because they always, they say the best way to learn is to teach. At least yeah. In my much more limited uh, coaching experience, I find it, it's, it does force you to go back and reflect, as, as you say, on those. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Your own. But you were, I mean, I didn't actually know just prior to this uh, podcast interview that the startup wise guys and the, and the built it, they're new yeah. to me. I didn't know, what, what were they? So uh, both of them are, are from Estonia originally. Build it is now operating in Latvia. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so startup wise guys is, 
probably the leading uh, Baltic uh, accelerator. And uh, this was actually just after I'd left Holvey and I had some time to kind of just think about the world. And, mm -hmm. and um, then I sort of volunteered to, to help with, with Startup Wise Guys and I ended up as their sort of lead mentor uh, for a period. Um, so I was very then kind of actively involved with, with just helping the startups on a kind of week, weekly basis. Um, again, it's just a continuation of the sort of same thing that just being able to help some others and sort of see them progress. And, and I wish I could do more for them. I mean, you see the struggles that they're going for and you wish you could help all of them. Uh, um, it, it's something I would love to do. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, the more I can, the, the merrier. I think, I think um, one thing I would like to explore more in the future, we can keep going with these podcasts, thanks to Epicenter and other people helping out, uh, is to actually explore some of that kind of wider impact of the Finnish activity in the surrounding countries, like yeah. Estonia and even Sweden and, and the Baltics. Mm. Uh, because I know that, um, well, of course, Peter talked a bit about his Actually, didn't. We didn't have time last time. But the tunnel joining um, mm -hmm. Helsinki and Tallinn, that he's kind of calling it the finest Bay Area, finest Bay Area. Yeah. And it's kind of like a sort of a serious j joke, but on the uh, Bay Area in Silicon Valley, but like even 100 times bigger. Mm -hmm. And I have to admit, I was just in Estonia the weekend. I was thinking, when that train's there, it's really going to be like we're neighbors and, mm -hmm. and yeah. sharing these kind of common endeavors for the region. And that, that's why it's, in a way, it's quite sad that Startup Sauna ended up closing down because uh, throughout the whole Baltic region in particular, Startup Sauna mm. was a very widely recognized brand and, and it, it was the leading accelerator for the whole region. And, and now there's a bit of a vacuum where we don't mm. really have that. And of course now the risk is that maybe the next leading accelerator happens somewhere else in Finland. Uh, let's see. So now you're head of product at Attractive AI. Could you tell us more about that? Um, yeah, I mean, again, what I like doing is always changing an industry and, 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 and challenging the status quo. And one of the themes throughout all of these companies that I've been involved with is the, the focus on the experience and getting the, the overall user experience good. And that's something that just the people who know me know how much I hate that, how, how much I hate bad experience, uh, uh, complaining about sites all the time. And uh, the opportunity came up to actually do something about that. And um, I, I joined these guys, they'd been working on some core technology that we're now using behind Attractive, um, where uh, we can actually analyze uh, the UX of websites without any users, without uh, any sort of human component whatsoever. Uh, so the bot completely independently looks at the user experience and gives you tips for how to improve that. And in some cases, it can even fix it for you. So it can even code uh, for you. And that's something that kind of excites me because this is something that has, has never been done before. And traditionally, this type of analysis has been done by sort of big consultancy companies that charge tens of thousands of euros to do it and the fact that we can do it in a completely automatic way is sounds bonkers but it's also super exciting 
And it just changes how you build products. It's like I can build something and see how well it works and get the feedback from the bot and say, like, okay, yeah, that's something I could actually fix. And you start fixing it and, and just improving the site all the time. And um, I mean, there are many, many challenges as there always are with startups. And again, um, we, the great news is that companies are now coming around to the fact that UX is kind of important. Um, a lot of money is being lost due to bad experience. Um, so that that's great. And now we're kind of just in that mode where we're seeing if we can get the right resources, the right team to, to really make a big splash. Uh, but uh, it's pretty cool. Absolutely. I think UX has become a quite a dif defining th differentiate in this day and age. I yeah. think you were pointing out and when you were talking at Kiwas, but also uh, Elias Alto was saying, like, if it doesn't have like a wow factor, yeah, it, it, it's doesn't matter if it's just functional, it has to have this kind of wow experience. So if, you if, if you think about some of the biggest companies in the world today, um, they all are what they are because of the experience. I mean, mm -hmm. Spotify became big because it, you could just click on any tune and it would immediately start playing. You could rewind and do all of that. And it was just like magic. It was amazing. Um, Google is what it is because you arrived on their site and it was just a box that tells you to in enter some text and that was it. There was none of the the portal type logic that all the other sites had. Apple, of course, is what it is because it really focused on experience from early on. Um, Amazon focused on that. I mean, uh, you could argue that it's, it's become worse over the years, um, but it's certainly one of the big factors be behind Amazon was not just the user experience, but the overall experience that making that purchase so easy that it was just one click and it would be delivered to your door and and, uh, and the shipping would be in some cases even free. So that whole kind of experience made Amazon what it, what it is today. Um, it's sort of talk of the experience economy that we've yeah, gone beyond yeah. commodity and utilities. Yeah, the, yeah. The differentiate is the experience. Exactly. Same with Uber, Airbnb. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of these companies are based around having that s super smooth uh, and great experience. Uh, and it's great to see that finally companies are realizing that this is important because that's good for all of us. Um, mm -hmm. And hopefully one day the, the airline companies will realize that as well. <laughs> Plenty of places still to be tackled. Yeah. I think, I think we have to wrap up now. We've got some things to do and places to go. But before we do that, I'd just like to find out what hidden talent you have, because we're building up to this uh, event we're calling Startups Got Talent. And the, the origins of that is when I was working with Startup Sauna and some of the evenings they had, I realized how much kind of hidden talent there was around seeing music or kinds of things. So at, this, and at the time we were struggling to raise money for the Africa projects. And, and as we talked today, it'd be nice to to keep that going. So the idea is to create a match fund for these outreach projects and and the by doing it for charity we give these guys who want to be pop stars in the startup community a chance to perform. But uh, So we're asking everybody at the end some talent that they're not so well known for. So could you ex tell us what your hidden talent is? <laughs> um, uh, well, I guess recently uh, what I've been doing a lot of is, uh, is Aikido, um, which is quite a unique martial art in that it's it's all about utilizing the aggression or the uh, the strength of the opponent uh, against them, and looking at violence as something that needs to be kind of corrected and to uh, to bring back harmony to the world. Uh, so I think it's a very fascinating 
art and there's definitely connections with startups and that's something I plan to do more with in the future but the whole I mean in startups you're facing exactly these same problems you're you're up against overwhelming force you're this tiny little thing you're you're nimble but small how do you deal with that how do you how do you pivot how do you how do you use the strength of that big company against them so I think there's very unique parallels between the arts so do you want me to show you some moves absolutely cool okay so now Chris is ready to show us some of the Aikido moves well that's it for today before Chris totally cripples me I'd like to thank you for watching and thanks to our sponsors Epicenter such a great place you should come and check it out Tanley video and most of all, don't forget to subscribe and see you at the next episode of my so-called startup.life. Cheers. <laughs>